Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today from Johannesburg in South Africa is Faith Kanyele, who is the CEO of WDB Investment Holdings, a woman-led group with a focus on funding and supporting female entrepreneurs. Ms. Kanyele also serves on the boards of the JSC and Discovery Limited, to mention a few. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Amalia. Ms. Kanyele, the first thing I noticed on your website when I was preparing the show is that WDB is for women and by women. And then the second thing I noticed is transforming South Africa's business and social landscape through the development and empowerment of women. As I mentioned, you serve as the CEO of WDB Investment Holdings, which was established in 1991 and allows the WDB Trust to be self-sustaining. The WDB Trust itself is modeled on the Grameen Bank of Bangladesh, which was conceptualized by Professor Muhammad Yunus under the philosophy that credit is a fundamental human right, with the bank offering loans to people who were too poor to qualify for traditional bank loans. Please tell us more about the origins of the trust and its deliberate focus on women. Uh, the WDB Trust uh, was founded in 1991 uh, by a group of uh, women who wanted to play a constructive role in the transforming uh, South Africa. Uh, the women wanted to make sure that uh, the women of South Africa were central to the economic uh, transformation in South Africa. Uh, so basically, the key focus of the WDB when they started was to empower women in rural uh, South Africa, uh, because you know the women in rural areas were most marginalised, and unfortunately, they continue to be marginalised uh, today. So the whole idea then was to provide uh, credit. Uh, to the women entrepreneurs in the, in the rural areas uh, to allow these um, ladies to start their own businesses, uh, thereby uplifting you know, their families uh, and communities uh, ultimately. And when we think about the name WDB Trust, does it stand for Women's Development Bank? It stands for Women's Development uh, Business. Business, so that's the B. And I understand that the the founder and also your patron is Mrs. Zanelle Mbeki. Yes, so Mrs. Zanelle Mbeki was basically, you know, the key visionary uh, in 1991 when uh, WTP was established. She then approached uh, other like-minded women uh, to really help uh, her to brainstorm on the the mandate uh, of WDB. And she continues to be very engaged with uh, the WDB mission and vision. And uh, she is the patron of of the WDB group. 
There have been several replications of the Grameen Bank model, and not all of them have been successful, but WDB Trust has been. Can you tell us a little bit about this process and the model that you have deployed in South Africa? The process that we have deployed uh, in South Africa is basically rooted in um, lending uh, to to women that already have got a, an existing relationship. But before we even find these women and lend to them, there is a, a process of uh, entering those communities. So basically the process will involve uh, the engagement uh, with the chiefs of those uh, communities, uh, you know, introducing WTP, explaining why WTP wants to be part of development uh, in those communities. And then once the chief blesses, so to speak, WTP, then the process actually becomes even smoother because, you know, then WTP has got legitimacy uh, in the community. So it's, it's, it's a long process, but, you know, very detailed process to ensure that WTP becomes part of the community. Also, what WTP does is then engage also with local government and other NGOs uh, in the community and develop partnerships and relationships with those other critical organizations and service providers uh, in the community. So once that sort of like broad stakeholder engagement process is complete, then engaging with the with the potential clients or beneficiaries starts, and the ladies have to form themselves into groups because this is there's no security for this funding. So basically, the security is the trust between the ladies that form themselves into groups. Before WDP can provide funding to these ladies, they have to also go through the, the training so that they also understand uh, the WDP way of doing things. They understand also this lending model, the roles and responsibilities, uh, the risks, etc. And WDP provides an ongoing support. Although it's a long process, I imagine, though, that once you become entrenched into the community, that you're there for the long run. And thinking about the trust dynamic that forms between women who participate in their various groups, that's a very strong social contract between individuals to hold one another accountable. Certainly, yes, exactly. Because how the model works is that in terms of then the loan repayment, the group is responsible for each and every member. So if, for example, one member is unable to repay the loan, the rest of the other members who have repaid their loans and may be looking for additional credit will not receive the credit. So it also fosters sort of like comradeship you know, among the women. And I guess, you know, the women then do not want to let each other down. So they really do their best uh, to make sure that they, they repay their loan. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the success stories and how many women have been assisted to date through this model? Since uh, WTP started in 91 with a uh, first loan, I think it was uh, 100 rand. 
we've assisted over 200,000 women. One of the key success stories is actually Mrs. Makula, who was our first client. We gave her 100 uh, rand. She was running a, a meat uh, business, uh, and basically she wanted to buy a fridge so that she could grow her business to become one of the most successful businesswomen uh, in Akonhook. But what then uh, Mrs. Uh, Makula was able to do was to also educate her children, send her children uh, to university, and actually one of her daughters ended up working at WDP at one point. So, But there are other uh, successes, but I think that is the one that really uh, just demonstrates that starting from almost nothing, you know, she managed to grow a business, make a difference within her family, and also inspires uh, and continues to actually inspire other women that has to be the hardest hundred rand worth of work that I've I've come across as a success story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, when you're talking here, this is something which is highlighted time and time again, that when women have been given the opportunity of being empowered and enabled, that it's not just a case of what they're doing for themselves. And sure, the money and the finance aspect is going towards looking after her family and, and nourishment, but she has been able to invest into her children. She's been able to give them an education, which has given them exponential benefits. Yes, correct. And I think for WDP, this is why we continue to believe in the power of the woman to make a difference, not just within their families, but ultimately within their communities and society at large. Because we have seen the type of difference and impact that just a hundred rand well invested and with the ongoing support of the from WGP can make. So we really, you know, we are huge believers in making sure that women now across the, the spectrum are given the opportunity. Now, to continue creating those types of opportunities and financial enablement, initially the WDB Trust relied on donations, which is arguably a a challenging approach to financing, especially when it comes to sustainability. So can you tell us how the WDB investment holdings component came about and its role in the group's value chain? The WDP Investment Holdings uh, Group uh, came about uh, to address exactly that challenge of, you know, relying on donations. Um, And, you know, also donations come, they come with conditions, and sometimes the conditions uh, do not necessarily align with the vision of, of the receiver of the donation. So I think WDP, the WDP founders, wanted to be self-sufficient and independent. That's why they formed the WTP Investment Holding, which is basically the commercial arm of the WTP uh, Trust. It ensures that the WTP Trust is uh, self-sustaining uh, and uh, is able to continue uh, growing its uh, impact 
you know, in their communities where it operates. So currently, you know, WGP Investment Holdings, founded in 1996, uh, is basically managing a portfolio of about 13 companies. Uh, but uh, WGP Investment Holdings is not just playing that role of being the self-sustaining arm of the trust. Also, we play an active role in advancing women in our investee companies by serving on the boards of these uh, companies and basically, you know, driving, uh, you know, gender equity and uh, gender, gender diversity on the boards uh, of our investee companies. And we'll touch more on that dynamic a, a little bit later in the conversation on thinking of this aspect of we've got the rural focus in terms of the trust. And if we look at the WDB investment holdings, that core interest on really transitioning and, and driving transformation of, of gender diversity. Financial independence contributes to women's empowerment, whether it's in the entrepreneurial space or in the corporate sector. And the work of the trust, as well as investment holdings, has clearly empowered thousands of women. You talk about 200,000 women. That's an incredible number. So in terms of, of the future and development plans, do you have ambitions to expand your model into other countries on the continent? Yes, certainly. And we are expanding into other African countries through the WTP investment holdings. We are looking to establish a private equity fund that will focus on investing uh, in businesses um, outside of South Africa. But again, you know, with the key theme of uh, making sure that women are at the center of the strategy. So yes, and we're quite excited actually about this new development and the ideas that we will start by investing in countries such as Kenya and Ghana. That's going to be a fantastic uh, legacy to uh, to forge forward and, and start uh, cementing as you spread your footprint across the continent. Yes, we, 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 we're extremely excited, uh, you know, to do something that, um, you know, we've never done before. And, uh, and obviously, also, again, you know, we're looking forward to partnering with like-minded women's organization on the continent. Thinking about the corporate space for a moment, women in leadership and the gender pay gap are two issues which WDB has prioritized on its gender agenda. Can you tell us more about these important topics and the organization's approach to drive meaningful change in these areas? Yes, the WDB investment holdings has been pushing these uh, two issues already in its uh, investor company. But what we obviously want to do now going forward is to broaden our impact on these two issues. And um, our intervention is underpinned by research. So what we have uh, done in order for us to be really, to have credibility and to be informed about you know, these two areas that we have um, conducted research uh, in partnership with Dr. Anita Bosch from the University of Stellenbosch. And secondly, 
we are now also have entered into a collaboration collaboration partnership with key organizations that are also active in women empowerment and development. The International Women's um, Forum is one of them, and we are now putting together a strategy to start to engage the wider South African uh, society. They're both very important topics, and you know we we touch on them quite often in the show on the the notion that there are not enough women in leadership roles that there has to be this conscious effort that is always pushing forward. And then when it comes to the gender pay, I think the pay discrepancy component is is a complete injustice. Exactly, exactly. And I think also what really concerns us is that there is so much uh, evidence and research, for example, I just want to quote on the research that was done by McKinsey in 2014, 2015, rather, the report called The Power of Parity. Basically, McKinsey estimates that bridging the gender pay gap in the workforce will add up to 28 trillion US dollars to global uh, GDP by 2025. This is equal to approximately two times the likely contribution by women in the business as usual case. So I think for us, that is really one of the key drivers of pushing that the gender pay gap is addressed because we understand the economic impact of addressing uh, the gender gap for Africa and the world is just, you know, just too huge to ignore. If society policymakers, business leaders, government can start to take this issue of uh, the gender pay gap uh, seriously. Uh, we will really see our you know, economies accelerating significantly. Mr. Kanyele, thinking about female leadership, whether it's in the public sector, academic or, or corporate space or any other field for that matter, what are some of your views? My view is really that, let's start with South Africa, specifically the women on board, representation, say, on the JSC listed companies, is currently sitting at about 20%. So over the past 25 odd years in democracy, we've managed to get to that 20 odd percent for JSC listed companies. And then for SOEs and government institutions, Female representation on board is a bit uh, you know, higher. I think it's about around uh, 40% uh, or so. So, the, I mean, if you look at where we are, I mean, I definitely want to comment that, you know, the country has moved to, to adjust the representation. But at the same time, I think that this is not uh, enough. I, I really believe that we need to be uh, pushing for parity in the next 10 years. And then if I go to the rest of the African continent, women hold just 12.7% of board directorship. This is nearly 5% lower than global averages. 
And but more concerning is that a third of all African companies have no female directors. So for me, this is basically just really requires the type of scrutiny attention uh, that unfortunately I don't think, you know, as a continent, we are putting that limelight on the issue. So I think the future state really needs, we need to to do things differently. We're going to have a, a different outcome in the next 10 years. You're completely right, really. And I often have conversations and people talk about an aspect of socialization, that it takes time for things to change. But it shouldn't take this length of time. We shouldn't be doing this for our daughters and granddaughters. We should be doing this for us so that we do see parity in the next 10 years. Yes. You spoke about a third of companies in the continent not having any female representation. You are one of the few women that serve on JSC-listed boards. And in Professor Anita Bosch's recent report, which we spoke about briefly, which covers women on South African boards, she used a, a couple of descriptions. And one which stands out for me was when she was talking about different phases of female board representation. And I quote, one woman on a board, the invisibility phase. Two women on a board, the conspiracy phase. Three women on a board, critical mass. What are your perspectives about some of these terms? I actually agree with Dr. Anita Bosch's uh, assessment. And from own experience, where I'm the only woman on board, <laughs> you definitely feel invisible. Uh, you try hard to obviously raise the issues, to try to get your voice heard. But it's very, very difficult. But once you've got two women, then at least, you know, you've got another sister on board that, you know, you can also, outside of the board, uh, of the board meetings, you can uh, have an opportunity to caucus with, to discuss a critical issue that really impact, uh, you know, diversity and women in, in the company. And then once you've got three women, it's almost like it, it's complete. And the voices of the three of you as women, it's more elevated. And uh, what I have seen from experience uh, is that then, you know, you really get listened to. You, you get heard. And, and the proposals that you put across, in most cases, they are considered and implemented. So I, I agree 100%. And I think also... Even um, globally, some research has demonstrated uh, the same issue that at least, you know, with three women on a board, you definitely start to see also the changes across the organization. Because I guess, you know, this issue of, you know, women uh, leadership, it's not just about the board. It's also about, you know, uh, senior uh, leadership uh, roles, executives, roles but you know so once you have got three women at least you know you can start to make an impact in the wider organization as far as women leadership is concerned. It's interesting that you say that. I'm always interested in in ratios and and percentages on how things operate. And 
usually 30% is always a point of critical mass where things change. And if we think about board composition, having three women, you've probably got a board of around about 10 thereabouts on, on average. So yeah. hitting that magic number of three and that magic number of 30%, that's when you can drive change and see meaningful difference. Yes, that's great. Today, we're talking to the CEO of WDB Investment Holdings, Faith Kanyele. You were listening to Womanity, Woman and Unity on Channel Africa, the African Perspective on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band, also available on DSTV Channel 802. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. In the previous section of the conversation, Ms. Cornelia spoke about the role of the WDB Trust as well as WDB Investment Holdings with respect to empowering women, particularly those in rural areas, and also how we're looking at driving change at a corporate level in terms of female leadership and addressing the gender pay gap. Ms. Cornelia, Going back to our topic for a moment in, in terms of boards, in some of the conversations we've had with numerous women across the globe, they speak about the lack of female representation at senior or board level. And they've often indicated that one of the main excuses is people will say, oh, we couldn't find anyone suitable. So with that being said, said who are suitable female candidates for boards and where can we find them? From experience, uh, a suitable candidate, first, you know, are those people with some leadership experience. Uh, they could either have been, you know, CEOs, CFOs, or COOs of their respective organizations. They should also have had exposure on the board, so they have got, you know, governance experience. Uh, but I think also most important is that it's people that are really eager to add value, to contribute to a, a positive change of the companies that they want uh, you know, to serve on. And they must have the energy and time uh, to serve uh, on the board. So I think that is quite uh, uh, critical. Very important assets, and obviously when people see and experience women who live up to these capabilities, that in turn inspires more confidence in us as women. We've spoken about financial empowerment, but education is one of those aspects which empower girls and women with knowledge to excel. You hold a BA Economics, you hold an MBA from Wheaton College and Bentley Graduate School of Business, uh, respectively from the USA. You've also completed an HDIP tax from the University of Johannesburg and participated in the Columbia University Executive Leadership Program. And you've received an honorary doctorate in laws from Wheaton College in recognition of your role in the upliftment of rural women in South Africa through WDB. Please tell us what role education has played in your life. Education has played a huge, huge role uh, in my life. And as you pointed earlier, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate to have, you know, been educated uh, in America. Uh, but I think it's important, uh, Dr. Amalia, to understand that 
I come from a very humble background. You know, my parents, who are not uh, very educated, actually they did not have much education at all. They did not even finish high school. They wanted their children, the six of us, to be educated. Uh, so they really, I think, put a lot of pressure on us to to always excel, to have good marks. Uh, they really believed uh, in uh, in hard work, and uh, I think that's really what shaped my interest and and also my appreciation uh, of it, of uh, good education. So obviously, you know, when I was growing up at that time, we, we had a birthday. Uh, so I attended um, Osanya High School uh, in Brazil, uh, Natal. And uh, because I was working hard and, you know, I had good marks, uh, I actually, at the end of matric, I applied for a scholarship uh, to go to the United States. Uh, and I was um, I was admitted to Emma Willard School, one of the top girls' uh, schools in uh, in America, and that is, was basically the beginning of my journey. After Emma Willard, I then received a academic scholarship to attend Wheaton College, and then after Wheaton College, I received a, a United Nations scholarship to attend uh, Bentley uh, Graduate School of Business. So education really for me has been, continues to be a critical success factor. It's an amazing launch pad and hearing your story, it just reiterates that emphasis and importance of education and how it can open this world of possibilities. Given all of your experiences to date, in your opinion, what do you think needs to be done to ensure that women have a better future? I think focus on education is educating uh, young girls is really critical. And, and I think Dr. Amele, for me, the focus also must be a holistic focus on education. So it really has to focus on the mind, body, uh, and spirit. Because I think one of the key challenges that, you know, girls and then women later on in life face is that the issue of, you know, self-confidence, self-worth, um, and, uh, you know, so I think if that holistic education is introduced, that would go a long way to addressing some of the later challenges that we see uh, that uh, women face. Of course, we have to also encourage, you know, women or young girls to take maths, to take science, uh, because, you know, the world today requires uh, those type of skills, you know, you want uh, women to be able to code. Uh, you want women to be able to, you know, start, you know, their own uh, businesses. You know, you want them to have the capabilities, you know, to solve problems. Uh, so I think, you know, you, you need both. You, you need that balance between, 
you know, the self and obviously, you know, know, the technical. And the outcome is a, a rounded individual that is competent in all spheres of her life. Turning towards a more personal perspective, one of the questions that I ask all my guests on this program who've made significant achievements in their respective fields is about the factors that they consider to have contributed to their success. Some people speak about hard work, others talk about perseverance or a particular person in their life. So can you tell us what have been some of the key drivers to your success? Some of the key drivers to my success have been, one, embracing change and really accepting that change is part of life, change is part of growth. If you want to grow, you have to change. And obviously change is not comfortable. So you have to then also embrace being uncomfortable uh, and, uh, you know, facing your fears uh, and overcoming your fears. The second one is that you have to be, you know, open-minded. Uh, you know, do not limit yourself. Uh, do not uh, limit, you know, who you engage with uh, because you don't know where the opportunities, uh, you know, for your next break or for someone who can advise you where we come from. Thirdly, you definitely you know, have to be curious about people, about society, about things outside of your either immediate uh, sector or profession, because again, you don't know where you know, that advice that will take you to that next phase in your life uh, will be. And lastly, you definitely have to be resilient um, and, uh, yeah, be able to bounce back, uh, you know, from challenges and, uh, and, from, and from failure. So for me, those are the critical success factors. They're so practical, embracing change, being open-minded, being curious, and having the resilience to see everything through. I'd also like to ask you, who've been some of the strong women in your life? Definitely my mother. You know, my mother, she was a homemaker, but she actually ended up, you know, starting uh, her own business in in the community. And uh, my father ended up then, you know, resigning from his job to join her in the general store that she started. Even today, you know, my mother is 80 years old. Even today, she wakes up in the morning, every morning. I think she wakes up at like, you know, 4.30 or 5 a.m. She's got her own garden that she works. She's got so much energy, so much passion. But besides that, you know, she really believes in giving back to the community. So when we were still younger and Still going to school in the in that village, uh, she was involved in the you know in the school governing board, uh, and basically just you know being a leader. So my mother is uh, definitely my uh, strong role model. 
it sounds like she had a lot of lessons to share. There's this entrepreneurial spirit, this essence of community and leadership. Whilst you were growing up, I mean, you already mentioned that you grew up in the era of apartheid, that you won scholarships to go over to the USA. Please share some of the pivotal moments that, that really had an impact on you. The, I think the, the pivotal moment in my life was actually when I had to leave my family at the age of 19 to study in the U.S. Obviously, I think before that, you know, the fact that I was uh, successful to be chosen to study in the U.S. was just, like, unbelievable for me. But then, you know, having to then leave my family at that uh, young age was a life-changing event for me. Basically, you know, having to go to the U.S., a new culture, having to make new friends, new connections. I had a, a host family that I stayed with uh, you know, during the holidays. Um, uh, basically, yeah, having to adapt to the, you know, horrible weather in uh, New England. Uh, obviously, the education system, as you can appreciate, you know, when I was still in South Africa, uh, you know, I did not speak English. I mean, my English was largely academic. So, you know, so I had to learn to speak English. Obviously, when the school had, had these programs for uh, students whose English was the, sec- as a, was the second language, so that really helped me a lot, you know, just to, you know, just to get myself up to speed, you know, with the language. Uh, but yeah, but for me that was really that was really a life changing moment, and it taught me a lot about myself. It just you know showed me you know how strong and uh, resilient uh, I was. You know, every time I'm facing significant downs in my life, I just look back and just like you know you survived, you know that sort of like seven years in America you know, without your family, you can survive it. Yeah. That's a real source of strength to draw upon in downtimes. And finally, as we close out our conversation today, can you share a few words of inspiration or wisdom that you'd like to pass on to young women that are listening to us in the continent? I want to say to the young women that are listening today, that your potential is unlimited. You must dream big, work hard, believe in yourself, speak up, and be of service to others. That's a fantastic statement. Thank you so very much. We really appreciated you being on the show, listening to the work that you do, listening to your views as a person who's accomplished so much and still has so much left to do. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Have a good day. You too. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to the CEO of WDB Investment Holdings, Faith Kenyon.